The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, everyone can hear okay? Okay. So, welcome to this uh, intermediate mindfulness course. And I appreciate you coming and being interested. And um, one of the points of an intermediate course is to take the basic instruction that we do here and move and build on that so that uh, the mindfulness can become more a place of, uh, of refuge for you, a support for you, more place for insight for you, so that it becomes something more alive and engaging for you. And uh, the idea is that it builds on the intro class that uh, I teach, or maybe some of you have had it elsewhere. Maybe you've been on a retreat where the teachings are given. And, uh, and with that as a foundation, we'll go on and, and kind of offer other teachings that are uh, pretty important for this mindfulness tradition of ours. How many of you here have uh, done the intro class we teach at IMC? So a good number of you. Great. And how many of you have done it more than once? That's the intermediate course. <laughs> and then this is the intermediate two. So, um, so I thought that uh, a way of starting would be simply to start with meditation. I'll do a guided meditation that kind of reviews the basic instructions that we do in the intro class. And uh, it's a way of settling in and getting started. And some people will be coming in late and they can kind of join in that way. And then I'll, I'll say more things. So um, <clears throat> part of the purpose of the inter- in- uh, introductory course, the basic teaching, is to give you instructions on the basic elements of what you can pay attention to if you're paying attention in the present moment. So the present moment... Uh, what is your lived experience in the present moment? And if you're really present and engaged and mindful of what's really happening in the present, uh, you wouldn't be sitting here thinking about what's happening in the news. You wouldn't be thinking about what you're going to have later for breakfast tomorrow morning. That's not here right now. But you would actually find yourself kind of uh, orienting yourself to what your direct immediate experience is. And you do that through a variety of different present moment aspects of, the, of our experience. And, um, and so uh, we often start with the breath, the body, and the breath. So our physical experience, that's a very much a lived experience. That's something here. And if you want to be really in the present moment and let that come alive for you, you want to learn to recognize what's happening in your body with your breathing and your body. And then um, instead of, you know, judging it or having commentary about it or or trying to have a better body right now and then, and, you know. The idea is to uh, be very simple with the direct experience of the body. And as you do that, you might notice some other things that are happening here. And you might notice you have emotions. And so then you want to connect to those emotions and the whole world of kind of emotions and feelings and all that as they happen here. And then uh, you might notice that there's thinking going on. And you might be thinking about what to have to breakfast, what you're thinking about is nothing to do with the present moment. But the fact that you're thinking about it is happening in the present moment. And so to learn how to be present, be mindful and aware of yourself thinking 
is an important part of this. And so those, those are very simplistic kind of overview, but they're supposed to be kind of pointing us in the direction of what you're actually experiencing if you're right here. You might be experiencing something physically, you might be experiencing something in the emotional body in your being, and you might be experiencing something cognitively, your thoughts. Physically, you might be aware of the sounds around you. You might be aware of the temperature of the room. You might be aware of you know, a variety of things, but the idea is to learn to recognize what is here. With that basic presence and recognition, then we can start building on that and kind of the world begins to open up. And I think of mindfulness a little bit like a um, door that opens, that if you discover where that door is and you learn to walk through it, you enter into a much bigger world. And I, for me, I think of it as a, the world we live in is in some ways two-dimensional or, or black and white, and, um, and then like black and white TV or something, and then we uh, go in and it becomes technicolor. The world becomes three-dimensional because the world of mindfulness gives us so much more contact with a greater range of dimensions about or aspects of this human life of ours and it becomes much, much more rich, rich. So the basic idea of practice is to get us to the door and the, then we start exploring what it's like to go through that door. So to start this meditation, uh, you would uh, first take a posture that for you with your body, the way it is, how you're feeling, your body, a posture that supports you in being present, that maybe expresses a certain degree of being present. For people who can, uh, sitting up straight with the back, upright and alert, is a kind of posture of attention and presence. If you slump a lot, that's a, uh, a posture which doesn't really kind of convey in and of itself that you're here and present in a full way. So you might give some careful attention to the posture you have and see if you could, the posture itself begins to express your capacity to be aware, that you're present here in a confident, upright way. And then uh, to gently close your eyes And take a few moments to feel your body. Noticing the sensations of your body, what's happening in your body. And then reminding yourself that if you're aware of your body, you're aware of what's happening in the present moment. And it's enough just to be aware of it. There's no need to have judgments about it or ideas that it should be different. But to use the physical experiences of sitting here as a grounding, as a connecting, to your present moment experience. And you might feel the contact of your body against the chair, cushion, the floor, the physical sensations of that. 
you're sitting in a chair, you might feel the physical sensations of the backrest against your back. You might notice if there's any tension in your body, chest, shoulders, belly. Just to notice what is going on and seeing if possible for these brief moments to just know it as if it's, for these moments it's okay to be this way. And you're kind of taking an inventory an inventory of how the body is feeling at this time. And then you might take a few moments to take a few deep breaths so that you feel that the lungs expand an expansion on the inside out. Your rib cage opens up, your shoulders lift, as you breathe in. And then as you exhale, to relax and settle in to your body. As you exhale, letting go into this body of yours, into your seat. And even though you're being asked to relax and settle in as you exhale, it's a little bit more a sense that you are connecting more fully to the experience of the moment here in your body. And then letting your breathing return to normal. Taking a few moments to feel the physical sensations of your body as the body's breathing. And to help you be in the present moment more fully. It's not necessary to try to judge or make commentary about your breathing, but rather to use the sensations of breathing as the connection to your lived experience here and now.
and as a way of being more present, but without making anything a problem. Noticing the, ask the quality of your breathing. Is the breathing relaxed and easeful? Is it tight or forceful? Does it feel shallow or deep? Is it easier for you to be aware of the inhalation or the exhalation? Which is more pronounced for you? And as you're sitting here, how are you feeling? What's your mood or emotional state? Are you restless or are you relaxed? Are you excited or bored? Are you more on the happy side or more on the sad side? Is there more sense of confidence or more sense of aversion or on the anger side of things? And then not to judge or make any story about any of it, but to use the basic simple emotional feelings of the present moment as one further way to ground yourself, to connect yourself to here. So that your awareness, your mindfulness has something that it can be the object of being present. 
It's not so important what you're feeling, but rather than whatever you're feeling, you allow yourself to simply recognize. So the awareness is here, present. And in the middle of whatever you're feeling, whatever mood or emotional state you're in, you might come back to your breathing. Sometimes breathing in the middle of how you're feeling is a way to stay simple in the present. not making things more complicated than they need to be, but to be present here, now. And then as you're sitting here, you might also become aware of your thinking or what's going on in your mind. But not to judge it or get involved in it, but just another reason, another way of awareness being in the present with something. And now it's in the present with the mind thinking. And we're in the present, we're thinking, if we clearly know that we're thinking. Or we clearly know that we're wanting something. Or we want to not have something. And to simply recognize that this is what's happening in the present. Not to be pulled into thinking, not to be pulled into wanting. But again, to use thinking recognition of it to help you be here for what is going on for you.
And then whatever is happening in the present moment, whether it's sounds or body sensations, breathing, feelings, thoughts, mind stuff, Let whatever is happening be the means, the support for awareness to be in the present moment. So you recognize you're here, alive, present, with your experience as it's happening. Keep coming back to your body, to your breathing. Keep letting the present moment experiences support you and guide you, help you to stay aware here and now. Especially, especially the breathing. Whenever you breathe, the breathing's in the present moment. 
And then in the last minutes of this sitting, notice what it is that tends to take your mind away from the present moment. What concerns, what thoughts, what energies tend to pull you into themselves so you're no longer here, no longer with your breathing. And rather than fighting or judging or making stories about these distractions, be aware of them as something that's occurring in the present. One more present moment occurrence that can be the place that supports the mind to be present, the mind to be aware. not having distractions be a problem, but rather as one more place to wake up, to be present, present for those. Perhaps feeling what it's like in the body when you're having these distractions, or in the mind, or emotionally. not as a complicated investigation, but as a support to be present.
And then to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths, feeling your body. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. When I was in India, I uh, met a famous Indian Vipassana teacher named Manindra. And uh, one of his slogans was, if it's not simple, it's not mindfulness. So that's a kind of a good thing to kind of remember. If it's not simple, it's, it's not really just mindfulness. Mindfulness is always simple. And the, what I like to think of it, it's the simple way of being present for what's obvious. And I like that expression because some people think that they're supposed to kind of get in there into the fine detailed experience, go investigating and peeling things apart. And they're supposed to discover something like like the key to life in there, the key to happiness, if they just kind of keep kind of getting in there and getting it right. But the idea is to stay simple. And for some people, it's a radical thing to have simple presence because... What's the opposite of simple presence? Complicated absence? <laughs> We're going to caught up in all the complicated world of the mind and the, our lives, the stories, the concerns, the, the projects, what has to happen, our desires, what shouldn't happening, what we want to get rid of. And it's so all kind of trying to negotiate that and figure it all out and make it all kind of line up just right. And what if there is no just right? What if having everything just right is an illusion that no one ever attains? Does that mean we should just you know, close down the class and go home? You know, what's, the, what's the point of all this then? But the simple presence we're, we're not complicated with the phenomena, what's going on, but we learn how to be very simple, relaxed, open, present, is a radically different way of being than engineering and wanting and aligning and trying to organize the world and organize yourself just right so everything is just kind of perfect. And it's a radical thing to do because it uh, that kind of pulls the rug, from, being simple pulls the rug from underneath the efforts to kind of constantly solve and fix and make and do and understand that some people are swirling around in all the time. And if we can kind of kind of stop fueling that and letting things relax and settle down, it's possible to come to a very deep state of ease with our lives, ease in the present moment, that in a certain kind of way doesn't require anything to be different it's just, except for how we relate to it. How we relate to it is just very simple, 
just like this, present in this way. Some people, I know some minds will rebel against this idea, be horrified by this idea because a number of reasons. One is that certainly there are things, important things to attain and get and I'll be a better person, more successful person, more liked person if I can kind of have all these wonderful spiritual attainments and stuff. Or what's happening to me is so horrible, so bad that I can't, you know, it has to be something better. I have to get away from it. I have to fix it and solve it and do something. But to just be mindful of it, it can be powerful medicine. Being mindful of it is a doorway to being at ease with whatever is. And this is one of the biggest gifts that we can give ourselves. So to have the mindfulness itself be simple is an antidote to how we try to make the mind once thing makes things much more complicated. It doesn't mean that we have to accept things, but it means that we can be relaxed and at ease more to figure out what to do in our lives and to fix the issues of our lives. But to have a mind that's at ease, settled, gives us a very different approach than if the mind is swirling or agitated or reactive or caught up in things. So if it's not simple, it's not mindfulness. As we learn the very basic ideas of being present for our experience, present with our breathing, present with our body, our emotions, our thoughts, with our direct experience, one of the things that is very helpful to to appreciate or to kind of incorporate into your practice is that um, you actually don't want to be good at it. Isn't that a radical idea? You actually don't want to try to be good at this practice too quickly. You want to uh, take your time in order to discover what's happening here with you, what's going on for you in the present moment. Who are you? And if you're someone who can't stay in the present moment more than half a second, that's what you get to know. What you do, if you find out that you sit down to meditate and you find out you have all these concerns and those concerns uh, make it difficult for being in the present moment, you, you can't do the practice well, good, it's possible what's more important is not that you're doing the practice well, conventionally, and they don't just stay with your breath, stay in the present moment. What's important is that you learn to recognize that you have a lot of concerns. And it's not, not a few people who sit down to meditate sometimes, and only then do they discover what's really going on. They've been so busy in the course of the day, they don't really know how they're feeling, they don't really know what's going on emotionally, they don't really know maybe what their concerns and thoughts are. And that happens to me still to this day, and that's part of what I do when I first sit down to meditate. I don't try to be a good meditator when I first sit down. Um, because that just kind of, you know, that's, doing, that's not connecting to myself, finding out what's happening here. And I find it very fascinating to sit down to meditate, to take the first minutes uh, just to be simple, relaxed, Try, try in a, in a, you know, in a sincere way, but, you know, modest way to be present. To make space to see what's really happening for me. What's really going on for me? And, you know, sometimes I'll discover 
pretty often if I've had a busy day, I'll find that I have uh, tensions in my body, my shoulders and my chest, that I didn't know I had until I sat down to be quiet. And one response to seeing that is um, to berate myself, Gil. You're a meditation teacher. You shouldn't have any tension. No one ex- everyone expects you to be relaxed all the time. And this is an you know, embarrassment. It's, it's, you know, I should, certainly shouldn't tell anyone. You know. <laughs> and um, so I can get involved in stories like that. Or I can just see it, oh, this is good. I'm seeing what's happening. This is true. This is what's going on for me. And now that it's here, now let's make space for it. Let's be present for that for a while. Breathe with it, feel it. I'll sit down and I'll notice that my mind is really concerned about something. That I, you know, I, was, I was going through my life, I was busy, and I sit down to meditate, and, um, and suddenly it bubbles up the idea, oh, uh, you said you had sent an email to someone two days ago. Oh, I forgot about it. Rather than saying, oh no, I'm distracted, I'm caught up in thoughts and memories and what I should do, you know, some, it, maybe that needed to, that was kind of per, uh, poised to come up in my mind. There was something kind of unresolved. Oh, look at that, there's unresolved things going on. Our emotions come up, resentments come up, joys come up. Thoughts of all kinds of things might come up. It might seem completely unrelated to anything whatsoever. Um, I might be sitting here quietly wondering how many ants walk around property of IMC. What a ridiculous thought. But um, I don't know why I'm doing that. It just comes up. Maybe it has some deep symbolic meaning or maybe it, maybe it, uh, who knows what it is. So, so what I'm trying to convey to you is that part of what we do when we first sit down is to catch up to ourselves, to find out what's going on. But to do so as much as we can without seeing it as a problem, without thinking that we're kind of not doing the meditation because we, we set ourselves up. Now we're supposed to meditate and be present. And you can't be present. But the, the forces that keep you from being present are probably forces that need your attention, that you need to recognize. But can you recognize them without being pulled into their orbit? without then thinking more about them, getting lost even again in, in them. So when I first sit down to meditate, I don't try to be a good meditator. <clears throat> and I'd recommend that you don't try to do it. Isn't that great? Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Save yourself from that. And it's possible to be a good meditator, but it's um, take your time to ease into it, to come into it. Don't bypass your life. <clears throat> um, uh, it's possible, I think, to, it's possible if someone does guided meditation, as probably maybe happened to a few of you here today, that when there's guided meditation, you're much more present. And some people almost are dependent on listening to guided meditations to all their meditation practice. So because it's more engaging, it's, it, it, the guided, guidance distracts you from yourself. And so it's, you get more focused, you're here, and it's more helpful. Some people can use... Um, uh, you know, now they have these, uh, these uh, you know, uh, technology pieces you put, you put on your head and it measures your EKG or different things and, and you, uh, 
you know, and it's supposed to give you a feedback system and help you get focused. I think probably it's going to be the way of the future for some people. But uh, even if they worked really well, meaning you got to super focused, super still, full of ecstasy and joy and rapture, and like, wow, this meditation is so good, and it's like plugged in, and I'm really here. Wow, it's just another drug. I, you know, why should I go take a class? Why should I, you know, this old-fashioned way of meditating, just to sit alone with your own mind? I mean, that's like ancient technology. We want to be efficient. We have a lot to do, so let's get this, you know, let's get you know, on with it, and if we can meditate, if we can do the meditation and be finished in 10 minutes, you know, nail it in 10 minutes, then we can go on and do other things. For spiritual practice, spiritual life, we don't want to bypass, we want to stop long enough to really let our life catch up to us, to see what's going on, to be with what's here for us. And if you try to be a good meditator, you might be bypassing that process. So don't worry if you're a bad meditator. So part of the intermediate course, the first lesson I'd like to give you, is that we try to do the practice with some sincerity. You try to do it sincerely, but don't try to do it well. Can you negotiate that? You try to give yourself over it and do it, but don't worry about how well you do. But then what you want to do is you want to start noticing what makes it difficult for you to be present. What are the distractions? What are the forces that you get caught up in, your preoccupations? So you sit and meditate. You're staying with your breath and you can do three breaths in a row or some period and your mind wanders off into some thoughts. One response is to notice that and be upset. I'm doing it wrong. I'm supposed to be staying my breath. And so you berate yourself, you jerk your mind back, you bear down on your breath again. Another approach is to, the mind wanders off in some preoccupation. You notice that and you say, oh, that's interesting. That's what the mind is up to. Maybe it was really, maybe it's uh, uh, psychologically and spiritually very important to recognize what the mind is up to. Oh, that's what it's going on. But again, not to think about it, not to analyze it, not to solve it, but stay in the present moment. Oh, in the present moment, I'm thinking about breakfast. Why am I thinking about breakfast? It doesn't matter. Just those breakfast thoughts, breakfast thoughts breakfast thoughts. Wow, how many breakfast thoughts can a person have? And chances are, if you're having breakfast thoughts and you see it that clearly, you're going to lose interest in breakfast thoughts. And then you come back to your breathing. You might, so there's, uh, to start noticing what it is that takes you away, what are the preoccupations, what are the challenges to being present is actually part of the practice. And that way, um, there is nothing which is a distraction because the distractions become the practice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we want to start noticing what it is that takes us away, what we, our preoccupations are. It's a difficult art to learn 
if the tendency is to then notice and then make judgments, make commentary, try to fix it, or get pulled into its world and start thinking about it even more. The idea of being present is just to notice it, to recognize it, and not, you know, it's almost like you're there and I'm here. It's almost like there's a little distance or a little space around the experience. And your presence, your awareness, your stability is distinct from what you know. Oh, look, I'm having breakfast thoughts. Look, I'm thinking about the ants at IMC. Look, I'm angry with my boss. Look, I'm despairing over my health challenge that I have. Look, I'm, you know, this is what's happening now. This is what's happening now. And we can see those clearly, the idea is slowly we're learning to disentangle ourselves from it. But we're doing it in a realistic way because we really know what's happening. We're not doing a bypass, we're not trying to try to avoid, but really waking up to the present moment through the medium of what's really happening for us in our lives. And different days, different things will come up. So, you know, so part of meditation, I think, I'd suggest, is not to try to be too good at it. But to take the very things that take you away as part of the practice. And then come back, come back to your breathing, come back to the simplicity of it, you know. And then slowly over time, you'll settle down, you'll ease into it, and it'll be easier and easier to stay with the breath, easier and easier to stay in the present moment and not get distracted. But you're not forcing yourself into that. It's more like you're easing or settling into it. So then part of the practice then is to start recognizing the distractions. This tradition of ours uh, emphasized five different preoccupations that uh, are the, they say, are the most common or the most significant things that get people preoccupied so it's hard to be in the present moment. The goal is to be in the present moment, but these are the forces that make it particularly difficult. And the task of people who are doing mindfulness practice, vipassana practice, is to become connoisseurs, experts, about these five ways in which we get preoccupied and we lose our present moment. And the advantage of that is we are becoming experts at recognizing these things as they occur in the present moment, so they become an other, one more way that we wake up in the present moment. If we don't recognize them, we can be drift off in them for a long time. If we hate them or are against them, then we're all wrapped, we're still wrapped up in them. But if we really learn to recognize them, know them well, know their tricks, know how they grab us, know how we relate to them, we kind of understand their world, then when they come along, we say, oh, I know you. I know how you work. I know how I get caught. You're so seductive. I give you so much authority. You seem so important. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know, you're my friend, but I don't have to go with you. So, so we need the ideas to learn about... So there's five things. So you might have other preoccupations. You might have your own specialties. <laughs> but the Buddhist tradition suggests that you... These are the five. Five that you should kind of really give some emphasis on recognizing. So the first is um, desire. 
And there's sensual desire, there's desires of the senses, there's wanting things, acquiring things, getting things, getting, acquiring meditation states. You know, this whole acquisition of the mind, desires of the mind, is very compelling. Uh, from a Buddhist, <coughs> a Buddhist analysis or the Buddhist teachings, um, the, uh, the human realm is called the desire realm. There's a recognition that desires are like huge, huge parts of uh, the lives of human beings. From a Buddhist point of view, we're not human beings, we're human desirelings because of how big a role it plays in life. And some people are particularly uh, pulled into the world of the desires, what they want. They, uh, they, that's, they're attracted to it for many reasons. And so to notice how these desires work, notice that, yes, I keep going into wanting something, wanting something, wanting something. The second is aversion or ill will. Kind of, uh, kind of aversion where we have a little bit of hostility or anger towards what's happening. And, um, and some people specialize in aversion. And some people say that they, they'll, they'll introduce themselves sometimes, I mean, not at a party, but to me at least, <laughs> in my, my you know, role as a spiritual teacher. They'll say, you know, uh, I, I have uh, my basic, I have an uh, aversive personality. And uh, usually I say, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't say it, but I, in my mind, I say, "Oh yeah, yeah noticed." You know, and uh, and uh, some, that's how some people operate. And so, and so, the distractions, the preoccupations are: I don't want this. I want to get rid of this. I want to get pull this, get it, push this away. I'm angry at this. I'm blaming something. And there's a strong tendency to that whole get, move into there. That's what's attractive to the mind, not desires, but rather aversions. Now, if you're an aversive personality type person, if that tends to be where you go, there's some good news for you from the Buddhist lore. Buddhist lore says that um, uh, uh, for the purposes of uh, doing this practice, you're better off having an aversive personality than a desire personality. So that's a little, you know, reassurance for you. Um, It's more dangerous to have an aversive personality because you're more likely to do some cause harm, you know, like you know, yell at someone or do something, you know, attack in some way. Uh, desires, you know, t- can be harmful, but they're not, usually not as harmful because you, you want pleasure, or you want something, you know. Um, but why it's beneficial to have an aversive personality is uh, people are really good at saying no to their minds. No more aversion. I've thought about getting the, figuring out the engineering the perfect breakfast for the last 32 days. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Stop. Whereas the desire person's like, yeah, you know, there must be a good breakfast. I, you know, the fantasies about breakfast are so great and so promising. And just having those fantasies, just thinking about the breakfast is so pleasurable. And I just want more pleasure. And it's like, it's, you know, we get lost in that world. And so it's harder to say no. Anyway, so whether you believe this or not, <clears throat> I just wanted to, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> for those of you who are aversive, don't feel so bad about it. <clears throat> it has its benefits. <clears throat> the third <clears throat> is um, uh, 
<coughs> in English because the people who translated Buddhism into English were Victorian British. It has come down to us as sloth and torpor. <laughs> and, uh, and I think of this as um, not ordinary tiredness, but I think of it more as a strategy that some people have to, to avoid being challenged, avoid uncomfortable challenges. Some people um, go to sleep. Some people just shut down, get dull, get lethargic. And uh, for me, I, I called it my seer's mind. Because when I was a kid, maybe nine, ten years old, my mother would take me to buy clothes at Sears. <laughs> and um, and I, I could probably fair to say that I hated it. The smell of it, the light in it, the whole idea of clothes, just like, oh. And I would get so tired. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so hard, I'm tired, oh. And so eventually my poor mother would get me out of there and she'd say, you want to get some ice cream? <laughs> I had all the energy I needed. <laughs> Lots of energy. Like, you know, the, the sloth and torpor disappeared quickly. So some people, uh, what distracts them, what makes it hard to be present, is this movement of the mind of lethargy, of, of giving up, of resistance, that takes the form of kind of getting tired or shutting down. And so that's, that's, a very, that's one of the common ways of kind of, you know, not being present, getting preoccupied or caught up in that. And uh, this is something that should be respected a lot and, and approached all these things, but especially this with a lot of, a lot of compassion and care. Because uh, uh, sometimes it represents some really deep challenges we have, suffering we have. Some people, there's really good reason why they shut down or go to sleep because it's very hard uh, to face some of the big issues that some people have in their lives. And so we enter it with respect and compassion and don't be in a hurry to fix it. Maybe the task is to enter, I mean, mindfulness is kind of a compassionate attention to what's there. Okay, this is, oh, I keep falling asleep. And I've, I know I'm not tired. I just had a really good night's sleep. And I just get so dull and just everything kind of gets so murky. So, okay, this, this, I'm now I'm in the present moment with murkiness. And I recognize this is what's happening. And maybe it's something that needs your attention for a while. The fourth of these, uh, the, uh, maybe I didn't say what they're called, they're usually called hindrances because they hinder present moment awareness, they hinder concentration in the present. The fourth one is uh, restlessness and remorse. And some people, uh, they get restless. And then the restlessness, they get caught up in the restlessness. There's kind of authority in restlessness. There's a kind of a, kind of a pull into its world because we're, usually it comes with a little bit of anxiety. And so we get anxious and we get restless and we restless, we get more anxious, we feel not in touch with ourselves, we feel a little bit lost. And then related to that is the idea of remorse. Kind of a little bit the underlying source, cause for some people to be restless. They have regrets about something. They, they have regrets about what they did, regrets about what doesn't, didn't happen, what they, what they didn't gain, what doesn't happen. And so it pulls them into the world of thoughts and ideas and keeps them restless and agitated. And for some people, it's possible that that's the primary distraction. 
that they get into is remorse or regret and this agitation of it. And I've had that where, um, you know, I've had uh, regrets that I've, that have, um, you know, that sometimes pop up in my mind that go back sometimes years. Oh, that was, you know, and I get pulled into that world. And it, sometimes I'm, it's related to my identity issues, how I think about myself, my self-esteem. And so it can be very compelling to go in there and try to fix it and work in it. And I get lost in it. I lose my mindfulness. The fifth thing that we talk about in Buddhism, the fifth hindrance, is doubt. And it's said that doubt is the most powerful of these five hindrances, and, or, or the most dangerous for people who are doing this practice, because doubt can, uh, you can have doubt about the practice itself and therefore give it up. You can have doubt about your ability to do the practice and therefore give it up. You can have doubt that whether this is the right day for the practice and give it up. You can have doubt whether, you know, all kinds of things. And so doubt is the uncertainty. Doubt is uh, um, vacillation, wavering, indecisiveness of what's going on. Should I be with my breath? Should I be with my body? Should I be with my mindfulness of my thoughts? Gil said to be aware of the distractions I had. But, you know, where, where should I, what should I pay attention to? And I'm unsure. I don't really know what the right thing is to pay attention to. And... And, you know, I'm not quite sure, and maybe I'll try this. But no, it doesn't seem quite right, and I don't know what to do here. And Well, it turns out that one of the instructions is to notice how you're filled with this doubt, uncertainty. And that's the, what you ground yourself in the present moment with. Oh, look at that. That's doubt. And there's something about stepping back and taking a look at it and saying, that's doubt. Where there's a moment of maybe freedom or ease or separation from being caught in it that happens at that moment. So we stop and look. We stop and recognize what's going on. And we start, one of the things that happens over time is you start recognizing the common patterns we have. So recognizing that for, uh, a lot of it is desire thoughts. A lot of it is aversion thoughts. Or for some people, it's just a long period of just sloth and torpor. Or there's a lot of restlessness and remorse. And that's the real thing that kind of keeps coming back, keep coming back. Or doubt is just surfacing all the time. And then that's, a, that's useful information to have about yourself. And for a few different, many reasons. One is that if that's what's taking you away from the present moment, you can turn towards it and be present with that. That can be the way in which you wake up to the present moment. Oh, look at that. It's like that. There's a desire thoughts. And sometimes clearly recognizing it, that's what it is, can be enough. It's all that's needed. And then you come back to your breathing. And then it's easier to stay there longer. There's something very powerful about the power of recognition. But if you don't recognize it, if you kind of feel like, oh, I'm getting lost, I'm getting preoccupied, come back, come back. But you don't recognize it, it's going to, too easily it's going to keep working you and pulling you away and slipping off into it. So this clear turning and rec- oh, that's what's happening. The other thing is that, uh, why it's helpful to recognize this, is you can start noticing uh, some of the dynamics that come into play with this, these particular hindrances you have. You might notice that, um, that um, uh, you know, with desire, that it seems like desire seems to get really strong when you feel lonely. 
Desire comes really strong when you feel uh, somehow um, really uncomfortable about something in your life. And it seems like these pleasant desire thoughts maybe are a way of distracting yourself, comforting yourself. Uh, Maybe a way of, um, or maybe the desire thoughts have to do with a a poor sense of self, poor little self-esteem and self-confidence. And some of the desires are delusions of grandeur. And uh, when I was in my early 20s, I had some great, uh, the wonderful fantasies of delusions of grandeur in my meditation. Because I felt, I felt pretty, you know, lost in my life, pretty inadequate, insecure. And, uh, and I wasn't consciously thought out, okay, let's, you know, have these wonderful delusions. But clearly those delusions, I mean, the allure of them being pulled into them, were a compensation or a reaction to having this kind of sense of inadequacy that I had when I was young. And, uh, and it, you know, a person can go off into that world of desire thoughts, pleasant desire thoughts, and how great, how great everything will be and how the, the whole world would like me if, um, you know, whatever. Because, you know, so pleasant, so promising, so rich, even though it's a virtual reality, it's not real. So it's possible by stopping and taking a look at that to start looking and noticing the hooks. Why we keep pulled into this world? What's happening? We might realize there's something we need to take care of. If we really want to kind of start showing up for our lives and be present, some of this needs to be taken care of. So if there's a lot of regrets, remorse, agitation, it's possible that what we need is to... um, is to be, uh, maybe some, sometimes maybe we need to do something about that. Maybe we have to go find someone and apologize. Maybe what we need is to be forgiving to ourselves, to bring some compassion to ourselves and recognize we did our best. Um, maybe we need to own up to what happened. Sometimes remorse and regrets continue because we haven't really um, owned up to it in our own mind. Oh, you know, I really blew it there. You know, we're kind of riding the edge, you know. I, you know, that person said something and they probably, you know, I wouldn't have said it if they hadn't done that. And so we're kind of like not really opening up to our part. We're kind of like finding excuses. But maybe what's needed is really own up, this grown-up thing, say, oh, I did this. Or maybe, you know, there might be some needs that are needed. So by recognizing what the distractions are, we're no longer distracted. We're in the present moment. By recognizing how we're distracted, uh, the recognition, power of recognition is such that it might not be so necessary to keep going and going to get distracted. And so we come, it's easier to stay present. By recognizing what the distractions are, we might be able to understand the world of the distractions, how they work, so that... Um, we're not so easily pulled into it or so we can address an issue that's a real world issue. Or, you know, we can just you know, understand more what's happening. But when you're doing mindfulness practice, <clears throat> what you don't want to do in the mindfulness practice itself is start analyzing that question. What, what is this need here? What should I do? What's really going on? You want to just keep relying on the simple power of noticing, noticing, noticing. And with time, it'll become clear. With time, you'll see more clearly. You don't have to be in a hurry to fix anything. In fact, a hurry to fix something is to be complicated. 
to hurry to fix something is to, uh, you know, probably comes from some kind of uh, unnecessary desires, unnecessary aversions, unnecessary um, identity issues, unnecessary kind of ideas of perfection or rightness or what's supposed to happen. When we do mindfulness practice, nothing is supposed to happen. Nothing's particularly supposed to happen except that we're aware of what's happening. So is this making sense? So at the end of that first meditation we did, I asked you that question to notice what is it that distracts you? What makes it difficult? What preoccupations you have? Was it useful for some of you <coughs> to notice that? So someone would like to share a little bit how it was useful? And maybe we could use the mic. So raise your hand. I heard some... I said, Oh, yeses, but no comments. I'd love to hear some comments about how was it useful or how was it significant for you to notice your distractions? Um, I think it was useful once you described the five aversions because then I recognized it since it was so close to when I recognized that what was distracting me was work and being angry at my boss or whatever it was, like being upset by, you know, perceived injustices at work or whatever. But that then tied in very closely to what you said about the aversion um, portion of that. Uh, Great. Good. Thank you. Someone else? Or there were no distractions here to see (laughs) things. Thing that I okay, cool. One thing that I really appreciated was the instruction not to try to do too, be too good of a meditator too quickly. So I think I have a tendency to do that, and when I do that, I'm missing kind of like the broad spectrum of like how or like the broad focus of how I'm approaching the meditation. I try to dive in too deeply to like I'm gonna get concentrated really fast and then I don't notice kind of all the intentions behind that that are fueling it. Great. Yeah, I think noticing the full picture <clears throat> of what's happening allows us to settle like this. If we try to go right into the middle, uh uh we become uh, Im- it's too easy to become imbalanced. It's kinda of like um I don't know, if uh if um if I try to, you know, balance the striker upright, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall over. But um, if I let it slowly settle, then it lays down quietly flat, maybe. So it's a little bit, it's a bit more stable and relaxed. So, so sometimes this narrow focus uh, makes us kind of brittle. Can I ask a question related to that? Is this an appropriate time? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm trying to figure out this balance because I feel like if I keep my broad attention too long, it's like it's hard for me to become, my mind to become settled enough that I can like really notice a lot oh, of the things oh. going on. I see. Yeah, so uh, there's, different wa- there's different ways of using the attention. So you're talking about broad awareness. Um, what I'm suggesting here today is a little different than that, actually. Mm-hmm. So that is... Uh, you know, do the, simp- do, the, do the practice that focuses on the breathing. That's the primary practice I like to teach. And then, um, 
uh, and then if there's uh, and then when you uh, when you get distracted by something that's when you open up to notice what that is and then and then after you've noticed it and recognized it then either come back to your breathing or if it feels appropriate to stay there because it's compelling mm-hmm. uh, practice present moment awareness with what's happening with that distraction okay. does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, okay. so that way you get a little bit of both worlds. So when you can stay focused, you will, mm-hmm. but you're, you're ready any moment to leave that focus for this other thing. That makes sense? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Anybody else want to say what was, how uh, up here with the mic, please, to, to your left up on the stage? And maybe the other, that mic can be passed. You, you want to do it too? Yeah, but let's. So, when I started meditating, um, it would be very difficult for me to observe my breath and just stay still. So, right now, I'm at a situation where in the morning, it's very effortless for me. I could, it's, it feels like a feather on glass. I could just watch my breath. Uh-huh. But in the evening, I could clearly feel my tension uh-huh. after going into work and coming back. And... I am at a stage where my, I can observe my, when my mind starts wandering, I can observe my mind wandering, but I have to force myself to breathe. Um, I'm still mindful of what I'm doing, uh, but still it's not as easy. So are there, um, and it's, even if I stay for an hour, it's the same. So are there any ways to settle down so that I can just observe my breath? So, so what is what, what's keeping you? Uh, invo- you're invo- you're caught up in your thoughts. Uh, no, I just am tense, and I'm. Um, so, when you start observing the breath, you start controlling it. Yeah, and um, it's it's not effortless. And apparently, yeah. in my meditation, this is the first hurdle. People are not able to just observe, sit back, and observe the breath. Yeah. So maybe at that, maybe in the after, uh, coming back from work, is not the time to do breath meditation but maybe open up and do body meditation and just be aware of uh, physical sensations in your body, almost as if the awareness is a, is a gently holds your body, holds the physical tension you have. And maybe bring, uh, sometimes it's useful to just hold the tension with awareness. Sometimes it's helpful to investigate the, the tension and really feel it exactly where it is and how it is and really enter into it and learn how to be present for the tension without any aversion, without wanting anything different, without doubt, without sloth and torpor, boredom, without you know, resistance, and without restlessness and agitation about it. Just be very simple with the feeling of tensions being with it. And, um, and if the breath is kind of in the background, you can maybe breathe through the tension, but make the tension the primary object of attention that keeps you in the present. And see what happens then. Please. A little bit closer. Can you hear me better? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to comment on what you asked about, you know, focusing on what's distracting yeah. and really help up with the five hindrances. Yeah. I've been facing this where I keep feeling very sleepy. Uh-huh. And uh, no matter what time of day, I tr- I've tried different times, different durations. Um, and I think when you were talking, I realized that it, when I'm focusing on my breath or my body, I'm okay. And as soon as I start trying to, you know, kind of look at, oh, what are my thoughts? What are my emotions? 
I start falling so very, very sleepy. Um, so I have to now think about what that... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I really tired or is there something else so, going yeah, yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so one, one, you know, you know don't, don't spend a lot of time, you know, to trying too hard to investigate what I'm about to say. But you might see a very simple and innocent kind of way. Uh, notice uh, just before you start falling asleep, uh, uh, is there any interesting emotion that's there? And it might be that in the first 20 times you don't catch anything. But you keep kind of keeping an eye out for, is there anything just before I fall asleep, get sleepy, some emotion? And then after 20 times, 30 times, 100 times, something, oh, there it is. No, that's what's going on. Make sense? In the, um, the guided meditation, so um, I was noticing, so focusing on the breath, focusing on the body, focusing on the emotions. When I was doing that, I really liked how you were saying it connects you with the present moment. And I could really feel that. When you got to thought, I felt that the thoughts were disconnecting me from the present moment. Mm. Because, so I have a thought, and my thought was elsewhere, like, you know, I was in a museum, or something. I was not sitting here in the chair. Right. And I, I can come back, but it feels like I, 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 I see a distinction between the, the first three in the category and the thought. Like, the thought is not connecting me with the present moment the same no. way the other three no. are. Right, so... <clears throat> So, if I say to you, I can't think of a good, good little allergy. So, so um, the thing is that with the uh, thinking, it's a little art to know how to be present for th- mindful of thoughts without being in the world of thoughts. So it's kind of like you're listening to someone who speaks a foreign language you don't know. And you know that they're talking, but you don't get pulled into the conversation. Yeah, I guess what I'm asking is I'm not pulled into the conversation. Um, I can see that I'm thinking, and I can see that I'm thinking, and my thought is in a different place than here. What I'm thinking, the right. content of what I'm thinking about is in a different place but than the think- I'm here. But the thinking is in the present. But um, it's not as visceral as feeling an emotion that is here and I'm present. Yes. So there is, I can see it, but it's an abstract level. I don't feel that that is connecting me with the present moment. I have to make an abstract layer of my okay. thinking is a present moment as opposed to I'm feeling the emotions in the present moment, I'm feeling my body okay. in the present okay. moment. So, so that's, that's how it is for you and you, des- you described it beautifully. That's your experience. That's the important thing that you, you recognize how it is for you. Given that, given that's how it is for you, what next? And one possibility is that it's useful to notice that you're distracted by thoughts when they happen very briefly just not recognize it and then come back and ground yourself in what's richer or more direct or feels more helpful to be present with but don't ignore don't be not mindful of a thought but just be mindful of just enough 
to recognize, oh, that's what's happening, and then come back. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. But I just, I, I guess, what you're telling me is that, for me, maybe it's different from other people, that a thought is not making me connect with the present moment as much as the other three. For now, that's for now. It sounds like that's what's happening for you. Just for me, it's not. Well, a it, I can you know easily imagine it happening to other people, but whether it happens to other people or not doesn't really matter that much. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. What matters the most is this is what's happening to you. And that's true for all of us. That we want to be present for our experience, how we're, what our experience is. And you want to be very careful you don't listen to some you know, local Buddhist teacher. <laughs> you know, and get the idea that you know, there's a better way than my way. You know, I'm having this experience. I'm supposed to have a different experience. Supposed to be, you know, he says you know, I'm supposed to do this. And, you know, I, and now I'm doing it wrong. I was fine before I came here. But now... <laughs> But now I'm doing it wrong, you know. <laughs> you know, so, so I, it's out of a lot of respect for each of you and for you that, uh, that you just, because you described it, described it so well. You are mindful, you are aware, you're mindful enough to describe what goes on for you. And I want to appreciate that, what you did. You, you're doing the practice well to be able to see that. And so that's mindfulness, that you could see how that worked for you. And now that you saw how it worked, then the question is, what's next? And what sounds like for now it's not useful for you to stay being mindful of thoughts. You are mindful of it enough to notice this. So maybe just uh, if you get this pulled into the world of thoughts, just notice it, note it, note it briefly, and then come back to what seems to be more grounding for you. And um, and one of these days, so uh, Jack Cornfield likes to say that the more enlightened someone becomes, the more eccentric they become. So one of these days, all of us will realize, I'm a little odd. (laughs) And it's okay. So what you said, nothing was odd about you and what you described. There was nothing there. But but (laughs) but, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, the idea is is to learn how to recognize ourselves, be with ourselves in a kind, supportive way, to use mindfulness to be present and to free ourselves from the ways in which we're hard on ourselves. And this is, and so, so this, is, this is one way, is to not see distractions as a problem, but see distractions as just another way, another area to be aware. So these five hindrances can be combined with the basic instructions in this way. So if you're caught up in the desire, in hindrance of desire, just desires are just like a dime a dozen for you, and they keep, coming along furiously. And uh, you let go and you go back to your breathing the desires come back. You feel the pull of them. Then feel them, feel what it's like the mindfulness of the body of having those desires. What does it feel like in your body? What's a physical experience when there's strong desire? What happens to your breathing? What's your breathing like when there's strong desire? What's going on emotionally? when there's strong desires. Not that you're analyzing or kind of guessing or going back into the past to remember, but here and now, when there's strong desire, here and now, what emotions accompany it? And then do mindfulness of emotions around it. Here and now, what are the thoughts that come along with desire? And then if it's appropriate, do mindfulness of thinking. Thinking, thinking, 
whatever. So if the, if the distractions are really strong, then do the basic mindfulness practice in the midst of having those desires or midst of the, having those, that aversion. Not to get pulled into it, not to believe it, not to get hooked in it, but the opposite, to get unhooked, to kind of step back in a sense and see it so clearly that you're not involved in it. Most times, when people are involved in the hindrances, their mind is not thinking about the present moment. They're thinking about the past, the future, about fantasy, about what's out there. And so this is a way of kind of bringing the mind back to the present to notice what's happening in the body when I have a lot of desire, a lot of aversion, when I have a lot of sloth and torpor, when I have a lot of doubt. What's happening in my, with my breathing? How has it shifted and changed? What's happening in my emotional life? What are the emotions that are in play here and now? What are the thoughts? What are the, what's the going on mentally for me? What's happening with the mind? So it's a way of kind of grounding ourselves in the present moment with the very thing that we thought was a distraction. And so we say in our tradition that there are actually no distractions. And if you can really, it takes a while to learn this, but if you get the hang of it after a while, um, you understand that um, not only is there no problems when you do this meditation, (laughs) that the very things that we would think are problematic are actually doors to a deeper connection to ourselves. So you don't have to bat things away or you don't have to feel bad about yourself that you have whatever's going on. It's actually a door. But there's a door that we can walk through if we also learn the basic mindfulness of just being present, non-reactively, non-judgmentally, not getting involved in thoughts, not having, you know, you know, here you're focusing on your hindrance, you're distracted, you focus on your distraction, and then you get distracted by, again, because now you're really upset with yourself because you have that distraction. You know, it can get, you know, spin out that way, right? So, I hope this is good. I was not planning to talk so much. It's an occupational hazard. (laughs) Because I wanted us to do another meditation. But let's do a five-minute meditation while I ask someone to go upstairs and get the handout that I left upstairs. Could you mind? Thank you. And... um, So I have a handout to give you before you leave. So, um, just five minutes of sitting.
the five hindrances are ways of losing ourselves from ourselves. Five hindrances are five areas where the mind gets pulled into so strongly that we lose a certain presence of mind, lose a strong connection to ourselves here and now. To wake up, to be present for what's actually happening is a deeply respectful way of not losing ourselves. To not lose ourselves is to begin a process of respect for what's here. Deep respect. The kind of respect that involves taking a deeper look A second look at what's really happening here, now, for us in the present. So there's this handout, and, um, and if I could have a copy, is there? Can someone bring me one? And it's, it's a, um, the, the, just like with the introductory course that I teach, the, thank you, Kate. The introductory course, you know, you're, you're welcome to, you know, to do what you do, but uh, it works better, I think, if you meditate during the week, you know, every day in between. Because then you have more material, the foundation for understanding the teachings the follow next week. So there's this handout that has um, a checklist. So if you meditate every day, then um, you want to know something about uh, some aspects of what's ha- what happened to you during your meditation. To, at the end of the meditation, to have a little bit of reflection, a little bit of review, what was that like? And to uh, do something that's very un-Buddhist, maybe. And that is to uh, rate, <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, um, the, um, so it's not really evalu- evaluating or judging in some negative way, um, but to the degree to which these things are either present or absent for you. I just was just strong. So, like the first one is calmness. Wow, you know, give it a ten. I was like in the zone today. Or calmness, what's that? <laughs> Zero, you know. Or maybe it was like, oh, you know, that wasn't. I was at rest, restless at the beginning, and then you know, it got pretty calm at the end. So I'll give it a five. And it's interesting to see the what's what's interesting to see the patterns, because many times we don't remember, we don't think about it. And we don't think it's important. But then we start seeing, oh, there's a pattern. 
I had no idea that um, I thought I was calm, but I actually have no motivation, which is one of the one of the things here. So anyway, so it's it's self-explanatory. I think the whole thing, but then in terms of the hindrances, the bottom uh, the bottom uh, grid uh, has the five hindrances, and um, and do the same thing for them. Try to when you finish your your daily meditation, pull out this, and then just consider you know how much was desire present for me, and and how strong was it, according to whatever sense you have you know yourself. And then uh, write down and see, see which ones tend to be the strongest over the week, uh, how strong, uh, which one tends to be absent, which is your specialty, you know. And uh, there's no, you know, everyone has a specialty. So if you f- end up finding that you have one that's your specialty, um, don't take it personally. Uh, it's just part of human nature. It's part of what comes with being human. And we are, you know, different, different, different years. It's different specialty. Um, my specialty tends to be desire. So those, they're so easy for me. You know, that's you know, so that's kind of like my thing, right? But uh, other people have other things. So it's just, just notice if there's one that stands out more prominently. No need, no need to feel bad about it. And uh, and see if uh, this greater focus, this greater heightened attention by having this little, you know, homework. Uh, is a support for you and reveals things normally you wouldn't have noticed about your practice. So thank you. And um, if uh, so, I'll be here if you have any questions. Uh, there's a few people here you could welcome to. Uh, if you some people have been around for a while, you can ask them if you want. To, if you feel like maybe they're better off asking them than asking me, uh, or you asked me already and you weren't happy with my answer. <laughs> <laughs>